Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Amanda, for whom slowing down can speed things up. Enjoy. Hello, dear Amanda. It's so lovely to have you here with me. Hello, Joachim. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here. So, Amanda, you are a mental health strategist, a psychedelic wellness advocate, an integration educator, a speaker, and a writer. And I'm going to ask you for just like a couple of minutes to speak into that. Like, what do those things actually mean? What is it that you are passionate about and you're trying to get done? Yeah, I'm happy to speak about that. So I've been for many, many years of my life, the concept of mental health has sort of weaved into my story. And uh, more recently, in the last couple of years, I decided to dive deeply into this. And so what I do is currently I'm working not only at the intersection of mental health and technology, but I'm also working with the psychedelic industry. So essentially, um, it kind of starts uh, uh, way back when I had trouble with mental illness myself. I had suffered from uh, depression, anxiety for many, many years. And I went through the process of learning how to, to heal from this. And uh, plant medicine became a very important part of my story. Kind of paused from this. I went on to work in the tech world, working in uh, product and uh, working in different industries like 3D printing and the fintech space and B2B apps. And I wasn't really finding too much uh, fulfillment and purpose in that. So uh, recently, I decided to go back into university and to do a master's degree uh, on the intersection of neuroscience and psychology for mental health. And it was through that that I started to explore the way that research talks about mental health and mental illness and different ways that we can work to cope with that through um, traditional medications. And I also uh, decided to focus on psychedelics and plant medicine. So I did um, a neuroscience degree with uh, the effects of psilocybin, which is a, a plant medicine together with psychotherapy for depression. And uh, recently, as I was sort of grappling with how am I going to combine this interest that I have in technology with startups and also with mental health and specifically with, with plant medicine, I fell into a, a company that is doing just this. And so now I've been working with them and uh, focusing my efforts on this. And on the side, I've also developed a practice of advising and educating people on a concept called integration, which is how we integrate the experiences from uh, altered states of consciousness into our day-to-day -day life. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that little intro. So many interesting questions spring up from that. 
But as is my custom, I will start somewhere else. I will start with asking you about the title of this podcast. Mm. When you hear this term relating to self, what does that mean to you? What comes up? Yeah, so relating to self, I spend a lot of time by the ocean and by the sea and these bodies of water are great teachers of mine. I see relating to self a bit. I'm also a writer, so I have a bit of this poetic interest in talking about these concepts. I see relating to self as sort of an organic movement and process. So it's it's kind of like a wave to me. You have this this buildup uh, to to a peak. So it can be very slow. You can see it coming from a distance, very predictably. Or it can it can come out of nowhere, and then this peak comes, and it's sort of an observation of that peak experience, which can be a, a joyful thought or feeling, or or actually a very challenging emotion or a challenging moment in time, and then you allow the wave to run through its course, and it can actually be a very playful, pleasant, thrilling experience, or it can be absolutely terrifying, and you can literally feel like you're drowning. And then there comes this sort of inevitable drop, this, the wave settles, there's a pause, a stillness. It's kind of a moment to reflect and to rest. And that's when you can incorporate what just happened to you and what just moved through you and bring that back to yourself. And it's a cycle. So another wave comes and it can come in a completely different way this time, but you sort of know what to expect kind of. And, but Regardless, you're growing each time and you're coming back to yourself each time and you sort of learn to trust this inner knowing that tells you where you need to be and how you need to react. So I sort of see this as a, as a movement of a wave and exploring that can really be related to this integration that I talked about before. It's taking those external forces and transforming the inner state. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Indeed, very poetic image. I was born by the seaside, so I'm definitely with you on the ocean or the sea being a great influence in my life. I'm curious when you speak of these waves about the timescale that you're thinking of, are these waves to be seen more as like, you know, emotions running through your body or thoughts that come up? Or do you see that as a larger timescale kind of thing where you go like, you know, there's several there's a period of say like three months in which the first month is like a build-up and there's a peak and then there's like a coming down and an integration period how do you see those waves in your life so the waves can vary they can be very very short just like in the ocean you have waves it's very long time between them before they come but for me yeah it can be a particular i can be in a, on walking down the street and have a trigger point and, and just feel this within me, whether it be anger or frustration. And I watch that flow through me within a few seconds. And then I have a moment to sort of pause and to reflect what just happened and to move on. So it can be something very small like this or a longer term um, challenge that I'm working through. Um, it can be, for example, the last two years, I was going through a very deep period of transition, having moved from uh, Berlin to Lisbon and exploring what that could be like for me to live in this new country and to work in, in, in a new job and to meet new friends and, and sort of 
find myself in the community there. And that requires a much deeper reflection and, and integration process. Uh, it can be both internal, internally sort of driven, so it can have more of an emotional base, or again, it could have be sort of a, of a compilation of external forces that allow me to, okay, let me just take a literal physical pause, sit with this, and then evaluate my next steps. Hmm. I'm curious, an, an image comes to mind. And I'm curious if you perceive yourself to be the ocean with the waves, or do you perceive yourself to be the surfer on the waves? I see myself as the surfer, also because I'm a surfer. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. So that helps. So maybe I'm a little biased. But yeah, the, the, the ocean, it's there. We, we can't change. You know, what's happening around us is, is going to continue to move through. And we, we don't have control over what's going to, to happen in, our, in, in the greater sort of world. And it's really only how we react to what's happening. It's how we ride the wave. That's really what counts. And we can fall. I fall most of the time. Um, I am by no means a professional in the literal sense of the word surfing. Um, and we can be underwater for a very, very long time. We can think that we're not going to come back up and have a near-death experience. Or we can just float at the top of the ocean and just let the sun shine on our face while we, while we lie with our backs and, and feel the water beneath us. So it can be two very different experiences and everything in between. Mm, I really like that image of external circumstances being the wave hitting us and then how we react to that. Like you said, like we could either be underwater and have a near-death experience or just go through it and then lay in the sun on the board and, <laughs> and be happy. That's, that's really beautiful. I'm curious about something you said earlier. You said learning to trust an inner knowing. And I'm curious what this inner knowing represents for you. Like, where does it come from? What is it? And how do you know when you are trusting that inner knowing? Hmm. So for me, an inner knowing comes from my body. I, this is something I've learned to do over time, and I'm by no means an expert. I'm still very much a student at this. But for a long time, I was driven a lot by the rational mind and what, what I think I should be thinking about a particular experience. And it wasn't really serving me too much because my mind wouldn't stop racing or speaking to me. And then it would start having conversations with me about giving me sort of negative feedback and ruminating thoughts. And that's going back to when I was suffering with this sort of bouts of anxiety and slowly the inner knowing became really just about listening to the subtle changes that were occurring within my body. It could be about, um, you know, I, I do think that the body is a very important radar for us. Um, for example, if, if something even so simple like having pain in your shoulder, I have this, I had for a while this recurring shoulder pain on my right side. And yes, it could be maybe overuse or um, working too hard in a certain way or slouching. And that's all part of it. But there's also this concept of just carrying the weight of the stress of a particular experience, um, the anxieties on 
on your shoulder and where does that actually manifest? What is this pain in my shoulder trying to teach me? There's something greater than just that site-specific pain. Um, so there is, you know, there's also, there's direct ways of the body um, sort of sharing what it needs to share. Or it can just be the observation of, of the emotions and where they're sitting and where is there sort of a subtle communication happening uh, between different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. So would it be fair to say that you know that you trust this inner knowing when you are attuned to what your body is telling you in the moment? Yes, definitely. However, it's a learning process. And for me, it's taking, it takes quite a while to, to really be able to fine tune. And I don't think we'll ever be fully sort of masters, right? Because the body will always teach us something new that we don't know. Yes, I am with you with the idea that we will always be students in some way. And yeah, I like this focus on the body a lot. Um, I think it's something that I'm also still learning about a lot, like these tensions in my body. I, I use the word tension more than anything else now. It's mostly just like a, a tension and release of tension uh, resolution. And I'm curious if you have any specific practices for actually listening to your body? Like, do you have maybe a meditation practice or, or a yoga practice or something that helps you to um, attune yourself more to your body and what it's telling you? I do. I have a, a daily meditation practice that I've had for a little over a year now, and that's been really helped me. It's transformed so much the ways that I see my experience and it is very much focused on sort of understanding the body and what it's trying to teach and to tell me. I also do have a yoga practice uh, or if I'm not doing a full on yoga practice, I will have a stretching practice in the morning as I like to call it. Uh, and um, I, I dance quite a bit. And um, surfing for me is a form of meditation and it is a practice uh, that helps me connect more with my body as it is very physical, but also um, a real test to, to managing and regulating emotions. Since you're in a, in a state where um, you have no idea what's going to happen and what type of wave is going to be, is going to come there. They are tools they're helpers, but, but they're no mean, by no means sort of guarantees. Um, I do think that tools can be helpful for one person, but not another. And, and everyone has these sort of unique individual experiences of attuning to the body. And I'm always so, so interested in how others are, are, are engaging with this. There are so many practices that are coming up and somatic body work and, and chakra healing and all these kind of new tools that I haven't explored yet. Mm, yeah. I'm curious if there's any for you that have, that have been helpful. Yeah, I definitely think for me, ecstatic dance was one of the things that made most difference. I was meditating long before I did ecstatic dance, but I've always perceived meditation to be something more of the mind. And I guess that's just an illusion. That was my story about meditation. It could be whatever you want it to be. But so when I was meditating, I was mostly focusing on either quieting the mind or just, you know, tuning into the breath or stuff like that. But then ecstatic dance really 
showed me that there is a, a playful and beautiful way of being with your body and listening to your body and actually just allowing the body to be as it wants to be and, and allow it to move how it wants to move that I wasn't aware of before. And that has given me not only a lot of joy, but also a lot of learning about how I connect to my body and what it's telling me. So that has definitely been the one for me. And I, I really miss it now, you know, during COVID ecstatic dance is maybe not the most wise practice. So I'm trying to do it at home, you know, on my own once in a while. And that kind of works, but it's still a very different energy if you're in a room full of people who are really attuned to allowing their bodies to move in a certain rhythm and you're with them, right? That creates this very special uh, feeling in which I can also allow myself to go deeper into my own body, I feel. And so I'm curious when you mentioned, when you mentioned dance, what kind of dance is that and, and how does that help you? Dance, also ecstatic dance, and I hear you talk about it, uh, resonates quite a lot with me. I started doing ecstatic dance in, uh, in Berlin and before that, Five Rhythms, which is another type of sort of open movement practice uh, that I began in New York. And I also really enjoy partner dancing. Um, I, there's a Brazilian type of dance called Fajal that I deeply enjoy uh, that I've been doing for many years. And also just a sort of self at home, turning up the music, dancing, shaking. Um, I wouldn't call it dancing, but it is a movement practice. So just shaking a lot of the energy out. And it, there's a tremendous release that can come from this. I find it really helpful to start the day, actually, with a, a little shaking practice. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I, I quite like that as well. I want to talk about one of the other aspects of your interests and your work as well. I'm really curious when you think of the way you relate to yourself, how has psychedelics influenced the way that you have been relating to yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, psychedelics gave me that word that I now use in all aspects of my life, which is relating to myself and that is integration. So we can take that concept, which in the industry term is you know, how do we incorporate these altered states and psychedelic peak experiences? Once we leave that experience, now what do we, how do we do things differently? What do we learn from this? What can we bring back into our daily life when we're not in an altered state of consciousness? For me, it's actually, we can translate that to any experience, any peak experience, any peak emotional experience. So when, when we're going through extreme joy and extreme sadness, what are we going to take from that? What, how are we going to, I ask myself often, how am I going to make sure that that didn't happen in vain and that, that I honor that peak experience and that becomes part of my story and that the insights that I learned from that aren't lost and they don't fizzle away. And I've started to see my life no longer in sort of these compartmentalized boxes. So it's not just about, you know, I am some, some type of person because of the work that I do or because of the commitments and acts of service that I give to community or the relationships that I have or the food that I eat or the things that I do every day. They're all actually very much connected and we integrate each of these um, in some way, whether we know it or not, in our day-to-day -day lives. 
And so it's no longer just about being, I am, um, I am a psychedelic wellness advocate and writer. It's actually, no, I'm a human being that happens to do these things. And that the way that I reflect that in my community and my relationships and the people that I speak to every day, there's threads there that are always interweaving. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I really like this idea of integration happening, whether we know it or not. Right. And then what you're saying sounds like if you bring awareness and intention to that process, you can make that perhaps more effective and you can learn more. I love what you said about making sure that your peak experiences are not in vain, that you can actually use them That's beautiful. And I'm also curious if what comes up a lot during the podcast when I speak to people about how they relate to themselves, and you alluded to this earlier on as well, when you said my mind had conversations with me. So what often comes up is this idea of the parts that we have inside of ourselves, these different aspects or archetypes of ourselves that perhaps we are in conversation with and that make up the whole. And what I'm curious about is if having psychedelic experiences perhaps has changed your relationship to some of those parts or did those parts appear in certain ways during the experience or were you able to modify how you relate to them? I, I would love to know more about that. So these experiences for me, they, and they're different for everyone. And by no means would I say would translate to how somebody else would experience um, this just as a sort of disclaimer for setting expectations for listeners. The mind for me in these experiences is secondary to what's actually happening in the body, which also goes back to, for me, learning to listen to my body as a real teacher. And so the parts do come up and they're sort of embodied as different stages in my life. So that, that part of me that feels, um, this like lack of worth that comes from maybe a childhood experience and then go back into a child state or this other part of me that feels very, very confident. And I embody another part of me that from a particular period in time. And they're always having conversations with one another, but it's really less translated into, into something I could say, but it's actually more what goes on inside. And it can manifest in different ways and in different parts of the body. It's quite hard for me to explain because it's, <laughs> it is during altered state, but for me, it is more of an embodied practice. And, and when, uh, depending on the context as well, is, is, it depends, I would say. Mm, yeah. Well, obviously I've never done any psychedelics. So indeed I can't relate to those kind of experiences directly. But I've had quite a few people having those conversations with me about their experiences. And it's come up a couple of times in the podcast as well, of course, um, as it is something that is quite current, I would say, uh, in the world right now. A lot of research is happening around psychedelics that can be used as tools for mental health. And I'm really interested in that space, even though I have no experience with psychedelics. So what strikes me in what you just said is this idea of the mind being secondary to the body in, in those kind of experiences. I've never heard anyone express it like that. And that's really interesting. Hmm. Thank you for sharing Amanda. I'm also really curious about 
What is currently still difficult for you in relating to yourself? Hmm. It's currently still difficult for me. At times, it can be, I have, I put myself often in situations where as somebody who wants to be A++ on a lot of the activities that I do in my life, um, oftentimes I put myself in states of overwhelm because I am just tackling on too much. I think this is a, perhaps many people can relate to this. Um, in relating to myself, I often think that the more that I do and the more that I accomplish in as short amount of time as possible, that makes me in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of my family and society as successful or having achieved something. And I often forget that things take time, that patience is, is truly an important aspect to this and that oftentimes slowing down can actually help you achieve things more quickly and speed things up at the end of the day. And lately or in the past year, I've just been taking on quite a lot and also because I love it and I love that what I do and I'm just so excited by all these projects sort of coming my way and I just want to say yes all the time because that's what I think means I'm going somewhere. And actually, it's important to be able to say no and to establish boundaries and to know when something is actually going to serve me in the long run or if it's just a short-term game. Uh, so I do often, um, I have in the past struggled with some of this. What is actually um, going to help me move forward? Mm, I love this one sentence you said, slowing down can speed things up. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yes. I think that's going to be my quote for this episode of the podcast. That's really great. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I, and I hear you so much. Obviously, I think indeed we all struggle with this idea of trying to do more, accomplish more, being successful in ways that we think society tells us is right. And when I hear you speak about this, I wonder if you perhaps have developed some kind of strategy to deal with this? Like, is there anything that you engage with intentionally when you feel it coming up? Or is it something that you're still figuring out? I wish I had sort of the secret sauce to this. <laughs> <laughs> if I did, I would write a book and <laughs> have everyone read it. It's, it's something I'm still learning. And if it would be disingenuous to say yes, you know, by meditating every day and by journaling every you know, every twice a, twice a month. And by having this practice and this ritual, this is what's creating a sort of open pathway for me to know exactly how to take care of the overwhelm that comes. And that's not the case. It's certainly a, a learning process. Having reminders here and there, um, speaking with people who I find to be um, sort of mentors to me, who are doing the thing and seemingly doing it quite well and managing well, I, I often find speaking with others, relating to others, just sharing the experience, that by itself already sort of clears the path a little bit more. Mm. Beautiful. That reminds me of something that Sonia said in her episode in the first season, which was something like that for her relating to self also means relating to others as she doesn't really exist on her own. There's a relationship going on there. And so this idea of sharing experiences and speaking with others resonates with that, according to me. And I'm really curious 
when you speak of mentors. First of all, what does a mentor mean to you? And then second, how do you find these mentors for you? Yeah, a mentor to me is someone who, I don't consider it someone who's just in, in a work, sort of a workplace career context. Mentors are people who I get along with on a personal level who I, I appreciate as human beings first and foremost, and they have a great deal of character and their values are parallel to, to the values that I also have for myself and who are, who work hard and who are doing the thing that they love. Um, lately, uh, quite a few of the people in, in my life that I see as, as mentors or people that I look to are in the mental wellness space and psychedelic space. And they are sort of unafraid to, to chart new territory and they speak their voice and they're heard and they know that they might be talking about something that some people might not be comfortable with talking about or listening to. And so they're, they're really, for me, role models and people that are being brave. And how I find them, I've... I've, I've always, yeah, I remember in my early 20s, I was like, I need a mentor. Everyone says you need like four or five mentors in your life. And then I proceeded to not have anybody show up into my world, into my sphere for many years. But slowly, I just kept doing the things that I, I enjoyed doing. And I kept talking about the topics that are meaningful to me and that I wish to share. And I've attended um, events and sort of gatherings where these people might be. And, and all of a sudden I started to meet these interesting people and we've connected. How I find them, there's no specific formula. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just been whoever sort of appears and I resonate with and I realize that this is a person that will stay connected for quite some time. Yeah, well, I asked a question because I've been thinking about that for a while as well. I think one of the key aspects of increasing the way or bettering the way in which people relate to themselves, which in the end is one of the goals of this podcast, is to create more examples for people of how it is possible to relate to yourself. So in this context, I see mentors for relating to self basically as people who have achieved a high degree of wellness in their own relating to self. And then these people, just by the simple grace of them being around you, teach you things. Even, I feel, even if you don't really speak to them or if you don't really engage in conversations, you're able to have a different vision of what is possible in your relationship with yourself because of their example. I think that's like a beautiful example of leadership by example. And obviously I, I would love to have more mentors in my life when it comes to that specific aspect of life. But indeed, I find it quite hard to find those people or be around them. And let's disregard the whole problem right now that I can't really be around anyone because of um, well, COVID, basically. But I'm really happy to hear you say that you just kept talking about the things that were important to you. And you went to the spaces where people were also talking about this. And then these people kind of just showed up, right? Is that a, a good summary? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the important lessons that I've learned is that, you know, maybe if you have an idea or something that you really believe in, and maybe it's a couple years too early for 
somebody's ears to to hear it without there being some kind of conflict. Um, there is this as long as you really believe and, and 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 truly care about what it is that you're trying to to bring to this world, keep at it, just keep going for it because there are other people that will meet you there. Um, they will meet you there. Beautiful. I love it. Amanda, if you'll allow me, I have another question that seems to be top of mind for many people. For uh, quite a while now, I've been talking about relating to self. But I've realized that for many people, one of the greatest arenas where their relationship to themselves come up is actually in relating to others, and specifically in love relationships. So I'm really curious about your journey when it comes to love relationships or partnerships or anything like that, and how that has impacted the way you relate to yourself or the other way around. How has your relationship with yourself impacted the relationships that you have developed with people over time? Yeah, so I can certainly see correlations and between times of my life when I was not actively and consciously and sustainably relating to myself or, or doing practices that would allow me to, to involve relating to self as a key part of my, of my life. So the association of sort of ignoring that part and the relationships that were also not working well for me because of that. So for me, if, if I'm in a state of inability to cope and, and with my own thoughts and emotions and to build that resilience around it and that awareness of what's happening in my body and, and with the outside world and how that's affecting me on the inside. If I'm sort of in a state of flux or, or just not regulated in that way, then the people that I attract are mirrors to that. Mm. And so in, in the past, I've, I've gone through many different phases and movements and had moved continents and then countries and then jobs and um, families far away and also working through what is it that I'm actually going to do with my life given this profound interest that I have in mental health and my own history with mental health and all of this is happening and I'm not taking the time for myself and to actually evaluate sort of the day-to-day -day on the on internally and so I would meet people who are equally as sort of floating around and also in transition and not regulating their own internal states. And so it's very much uh, you're mirroring what's going on on the inside. And I certainly have seen a correlation with that. And uh, now that I'm more in the state of full awareness of, of my own being and charting this path, this non-traditional path in this, in this space that I that in what I do for work and how I serve my community. I'm also developing relationships with people who are equally brave and courageous and, and also doing the work and also integrating. I'm meeting fellow integrators and uh, that's been incredible. Beautiful. I love that. This idea of attracting mirrors of yourself is, is fascinating, isn't it? I'm not yet sure uh, how that works or how that manifests for me. 
And I'm curious if when you were in those situations where you attracted someone who then ended up being a mirror of the state that you're in, was that something that you kind of saw or is it something that you only understood after the facts and, and when thinking about it afterwards? I definitely didn't see it mm -hmm. in the moment. Hindsight is interesting. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. And these people that entered my life needed to enter my life for a very, very real reason. And I'm so grateful for it. And it's only by having had those mirrored relationships that I was able to, to grow and to actually see what it was. But it certainly isn't something that I could see in the moment. That's the years going by, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I think I resonate with that. And I really like also what you say about there still be being a reason why these people were there and because you had to go through certain experiences or learn certain things. And then from actually learning that, then you can look back and see like, oh yes, this was a mirror of the state maybe that I was in with my relationship with myself. Um, yeah, that's, that's a beautifully put Amanda. Thank you. Well, as we come to a close of this episode of the podcast, I have one more question for you, Amanda. And that is, if there is any question that you would have loved to answer on this podcast that I haven't asked you. Hmm. There is a question. It's often um, sort of, you wouldn't have been able to have asked it without my initiating. Um, there's a way that we see integration that I would love to uh, share with, with people. It's a, it's a nice visual image. Beautiful. I'd love to hear. Uh, so I can go ahead and explain it. <laughs> There was a, a researcher who had uh, mentioned this, this metaphor in the past. So it's not my own, but I love it. And I do hope that people can, can learn something or at least try to visualize what integration really means. So integration so so when you're in a peak experience so whether it's an altered state of consciousness whether it's psychedelic or not you can see that as sort of being at the top of mount everest and you see a whole view this this is applicable as well very much so for for psychedelic experiences but you're you're at the top you can see everything below it's this wow factor it's incredible um, you've made it. You're sort of at the moment where nothing else really matters except what you're seeing in this awe-inspiring moment. And integration is actually how you're getting there. So you can just be dropped. And this is what often happens with these, with these um, psychedelics is you get kind of dropped on top of Mount Everest. You don't do much to get there at all. But the integration is, is, not only going up, but it's coming down the mountain. How are you actually going to get back to your life? How are you actually going to wade through the snow and the cold and the oxygen level? This is really what it's about. And that's also maybe what relating to self is, right? You, you have this, you get dropped into an incredible moment, but how are you going to actually get down? So that's a kind of a, a visual that I like to share. Mm, amazing. I love it. And yeah, what comes up for me is that it's indeed related to the journey of relating to self for me personally as well, where I feel had I been through life, always feeling joyful and grounded and, 
you know, happy with how I relate to myself and others, then I wouldn't have had the same joy that I currently experience when I'm just sitting at home and I'm making myself a cup of tea and I'm kind of just practicing being kind to myself in that moment. What makes that moment amazing is the path that led me there and looking back and realizing that I have been unkind to myself so many times before. And like that realization of like that climbing the mountain, like you say, brings a specific kind of sparkle to the experience. And I think practicing that sparkle by looking back at the path is one of the core practices of my relationship with myself. Mm, beautiful. Wonderful. Amanda, thank you so much. This was a beautiful thank conversation. You. I very much enjoyed it. One more thing before we part, and that is I would like to ask you where people can reach you or connect with you if they feel like what you were saying was interesting to them, and then we can make that happen. Yes, people can find me uh, on my website, amandafdenier.com, or Instagram, which I can share with you, and uh, we can connect there. Beautiful. I will make sure to post your website and your Instagram account in the notes of this podcast so people can easily find it. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Joachim. This is beautiful. You're so welcome, Amanda. Have a lovely day. You too. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. <laughs>